Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and Scott, come on man, just let me borrow it for a while. Matt, no, it, it's very precious to me. I'm not just going to let you walk around with it. You, you lose things all the time. I won't lose this. I just want to play with it. Matt, no, you cannot borrow my PlayStation. See, it's it's funny because you guys thought we were talking about my penis. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of dick ripping, something kind of like the energy gremlin from Gremlins 2, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week we're covering chapters 10.7 and 10.8. Breakthrough executes Operation reality television as they head to love lost's neck of the woods to spy on the villain with the plans of taking her down the team is discovered because they're bad at being inconspicuous and while fleeing end up in a confrontation in a parking lot breakthrough wins the day and smashes some weapons but the bad guys seem to have the high ground matt what did you think of these two chapters these are two fun chapters i I think i'm glad that we get to do these two together in a single episode because it seems like you know, they go together really well, right? Like we, we take a time jump between um, 10.4 and 10.5 and mm-hmm. then 10.5 and 10.6 are just like a continuous kind of adventure running through, um, you know, the, the team is in, in in this unusual context, dealing with unusual challenges. Um, everything's kind of framed as its own little story. Uh, and um, of course, I, as usual, like what we're doing with um, various, you know, character beats. And there's what we're we're learning a lot about um, Love Lost and her and her area. Everything's um, everything's very interesting. So I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot going on here, and it's a lot of um, there's a lot of tension management. Um, these are a couple really tense chapters as we kind of slow roll this conflict out into what eventually comes to just a, a fight. Um, we have a little bit of misdirection at the beginning of the chapter as to the television show that the guys are watching. A um, lot to talk about, I think. It's gonna be a good episode. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some announcements. Uh, so first. Um once again, the fan art contest for the coming quarter, fan art contest number five. The theme is Happy Holidays from Earth Gimmel. Entries are due by Monday, December 17th at midnight uh, Pacific time. Yeah. Winners will be revealed on Christmas Day. Yeah, which is, I just gave myself work on Christmas Eve. But you know what? <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, um, yeah we're, it's basically check out the the link in the show notes for information on all the rules and everything around that. Um, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to your holiday card artwork. Me too. Me too. All right. Now, Community Spotlight, where, where we read what people wrote from last week's thread. Uh, and the discussion question last week was, uh, discuss, uh, cluster triggers have been pretty uh, a pretty key part of Ward's storyline so far. What do you think the book is saying through these groups of capes? How does it tie into the themes of Ward as we understand them to be so far? Um, and I thought this was a, a great question that Scott came up with. It's really great because oh. now I don't have to think of the answer for this. <laughs> I can just look at what you guys say and then and then say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So starting out, uh, Placid Platypus says, I think there's something to be said about clusters as a parallel to family. It's a very close relationship among a group of people who all have a huge effect on each other, both in terms of who they are and what happens to them. 
and it's a relationship that they didn't choose and that they, and that they can't easily opt out of. Obviously, thanks to shard fuckery, most clusters are several standard deviations more dysfunctional than the average family, but you can still see some parallels uh, between, for example, Rain's cluster and the Dallins. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that family idea is a a pretty clear parallel. We've talked over and over again about how family has been an important part of the story, and and a cluster is just kind of a a different, uh, more dysfunctional form of family. So I like that answer a lot. Yeah, that that seems... um, I, I don't know that that seems like a really good answer to me because like relationships between people, they've always been a big, a big you know, pair humans theme and just a really interesting thing to to talk about. Right. But right. Family is an obvious theme of the story. Clusters are an obvious theme of the story and the way those two things are related. Uh, you can't help but get, you know, dig a lot into. Yeah. So next up, we have Calinero985, who says they can't fully answer this question because there's a lot about clusters we don't fully understand yet. But they do see clusters as an example of how individualized and personal trauma is. And by definition, how unique the forgiveness that does or doesn't accompany trauma has to be. With Rain, we see multiple people united by one horrific experience, each manifesting it in their own ways. Triggers are already interesting in that a person takes their unique trauma and makes it into a power that expresses their experience. But cluster capes are even more interesting because they take the same trauma, the same trigger event, but provide their own unique interpretation of it, showing that trauma affects no two people the same way. They're all driven to process it in their own ways as well, which plays nicely into our exploration of what forgiveness means to different people. I like this answer a lot. This is kind of what I had in my head when I came up with the question, this idea that we can look at a singular event, a, a group trauma event, and see in the ways that different people deal with it, the ways that, that it manifests in them through their powers, and therefore the ways that, that they're processing it um, and, and trying to move through it differ and, and show how people see things differently and how thing, people approach things differently and how these even even shared things are you know interpreted through a different lens um right. and i and i think we kind of see that in you know talks about rain and love loss that we're going to get into this week yeah absolutely yeah I, I i just like jumps to mind that you can take any given cluster like for example rain's cluster and take any given kind of sub power within that cluster, like the emotions power within their cluster and just think about how and why each of the characters has the spin on the emotion power that they do. Um, I'm not going to go into it now, but it's, it's, you know, it's obviously thought was put into it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So now from FIP Industries, this poster thinks that the cluster trig- triggers uh, explore our reactions to shared trauma. The kiss-kill dynamic in particular shows how shared trauma can unite people in some ways but completely divide them in others. And they, they actually cite 9-11 as a good example of collective shared trauma and how it serves as a uniting factor for many people but a lash out um, – you know, kill people, you know, trigger basically kiss, kill thing, um, uh, regarding, you know, the, the people who did it. Um, it also notes that at least in our example of rain, one of the members of the cluster was also responsible, uh, for the trigger rain. Um, so if, if this is the case more broadly, FIP industry speculates that this could serve as a collective way to explore how this trauma affects both the victim and the one responsible. Yeah, I like this answer a lot, too. I like the uh, a lot of what we saw echoed in a lot of people's answers was, you know, diving into 
one of the things that makes clusters unique, which is that kiss kill dynamic. So what can that kiss kill dynamic say? Well, if we say that a a cluster trigger is is a shared traumatic event, then kiss kill seems to be an exploration of how shared traumas serve to either unite us or divide us. And um, I think that's something that we saw answered in, in quite a few of your guys' essays. And I think that's very true that 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 collective trauma can bring some people together, but can also, you know, polarize people against others. And um, that seems to be with this whole kiss kill dynamic, something that the book is exploring. Yeah, I like that. All right. RL Radar (laughs) said shared traumatic moments bind or break relationships. This is kind of going more into what what uh, FIP Industries just said above. Couples have trouble surviving the death of a child. Siblings might grow closer or drift apart growing up with abusive parents with standard relationships being less common. Support groups formed after large scale tragedies, though I imagine one person feeling like they did more to prevent it or suffered more because of it could lead to strained or hostile relationships. If word is about the relationships between traumatized people, then clusters might represent the most existing exaggerated extremes of these kind of relationships. And that's that's a really interesting thought. And I think we have to kind of keep in mind as we as we go through this exploration of clusters in these next few arcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Um, and I, it's interesting. A lot of these answers are priming me to re- really think back over um, a lot of the interactions that we've seen in the story and kind of view them in this context of yeah. um, how are we how are we playing with these these themes? Um, last comment from Kamikaze Tomato, uh, a class of trauma that affects people in a societal group level um, and can be representative of how we react to these events differently and ingredients on the individuals, uh, but with a nod to the very we- real ties that exist between people who experience and survive traumatic events like that together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes we have questions that <laughs> we have like, 20 different answers and they're all very different. I think what I saw this week was all you guys made excellent points. And, and the reason why we didn't pull as many as we did is because you were all making great points that kind of all circled around the same thing. And I think that just goes to show that how well this, um, this idea has been kind of established and, and, discussed in the book because we're all kind of circling around the same ideas around these ideas of shared trauma of of how those things can bring us together or rip us apart of how those things explore uh different people's ability to both forgive bad things but also um process bad things that happen to them and we're all like all the answers were we're hovering around that same point i think that's great because i think that shows kind of a clarity in in messaging that the text has created so far and and like like someone said we don't know we don't know enough about the clusters yet we're still learning more we don't know what the conceit of the story is going to be so we're not sure where this is going to all end up but it seems like now in this moment we have this idea uh, and what these clusters can do in what we think the story is exploring yeah um it is it is always really interesting how um the there's usually more than one thrust of, of what the answers are. You know, it's, it's two or three kind of, uh, lines of thought on, on what the, what the answer is to the questions. And I think that's, that's yeah. really interesting to me because it's not, it's not one, it's not like everyone agrees and it's not like everyone has their own completely wild take. But what's interesting is different people kind of home in on different kind of strands of like a possible, um, important thing about what's happening. And that I think speaks to the richness of these themes actually. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, so let's get on into the chapters. Let's do it. So we start uh, chapter 
10.7 with Rain, Sveta, and Victoria watching Blood Atoll. It's a word that I very rarely have the opportunity to pronounce. Um, a very niche, rotoscoped French pirate cartoon from another dimension uh, while sitting on a couch in a public space. Yeah, some would say that it's like so niche that only six people have watched it ever. Yep. Uh, so in this in this cartoon, we have a skinny guy with rings of tribal tattoos uh, and a DJ on his bicep, uh, who is, of course, disjoint, a curvy young woman with sharks taking bites out of her sides, uh, tattoos, um, is uh, side piece. So basically, Wild Bill gives us like 15 different clues as to who these people could be, but leaves us for a while to put it all together. He eventually tells us, but um, I, I like it kind of kind of lets you figure it out. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> I hate to start it off of the, the the show this way, but this is one of those times that I'm very torn about this, right? This is, um, this is Scott's pet peeve, huh? Yeah. So we we've yeah. If if anyone has been following this podcast for any amount of time, you've probably heard uh, me whine and drone on about my hiding things from the audience pet peeve. Um, that that this idea that sometimes, especially when you're in first person point of view, you basically have to have a character lie to the audience all for the sake of a reveal that may or may not actually be necessary. Um, and and that's what kind of what I'm juggling with here. And I actually I thought about this for a long time um, after I read it and reread it and reread it again. And I kind of want to use this platform as a way to work through my feelings on this instead of like coming up with a conclusion and diving into the episode with my mind already made up. So if you'll, if you'll indulge me on that, that sounds fun. So what happened? Like the first time I read this, the first time I read this chapter, I was really, really confused and I, I did not make the connections and I did not know what was going on. And then you reach the reveal part and suddenly you're like, Oh, I get it. But I didn't understand what was happening and I have to go reread it. Um, and so, I did. So, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I just wanted to 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 pitch in like I um, kind of immediately assumed that the cartoon was some kind of Kinsey thing, but I didn't know what it was. Um, I didn't know what it meant. Right. So I think that there's two different levels of being confused about it. Right. There's a level where you're like, I have no idea what they're watching, which is maybe where you were. And then there's a level of, OK, so they're. This is this is some kind of Kinsey surveillance thing, but I'm not sure what it, what exactly is going on. And so it's like if you're not able to even see it as a puzzle, then it's just frustrating, I would imagine. Right. Am, yeah. I, am I on the right track? I mean, yes. It, like I, I figured they were like on a mission. Right. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there was ever a moment in my life when I was in, in, in my life in, <laughs> in reading this part of the chapter where I was like, these are just characters sitting on a, a couch watching TV. Like, I don't think I ever was there, but I was going back and forth between who are these people are? Am I supposed to be recognizing them? Is what's supposed to be going on? And it caused me to miss things. It caused me to miss the significance of the cult conversation when it was first there, because we don't know who this person is. And, and because I was confused about who these people are, I'm paying less attention to their dialogue, you know, cause I'm like, I, I have no connection to who this person is. So I'm not like really zooming in on the, the, the consequences of the argument that they're having. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think um, even though I, I so far be it for me to say that I caught on to something in the reading process before you, because this will be the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> um, but but like, I think I was 
I think I was up on the fact that Parker was was Colt pretty quickly, um, but before it was revealed, certainly. Um, but there, but I, I will agree to the extent that like um, the solving a mystery brain gear and the following the dramatic import of a conversation brain gear don't really turn at the same time for me. So as you say, I, even though I knew it was Colt, I wasn't really um, interpreting it as dialogue so much as I was still kind of trying to solve the mystery. Right, right. Um, so and, it's, it's interesting to point out how like you can't have, maybe you can kind of have it both ways, but it you, you it's a trade-off maybe. I don't know. It's interesting yeah. to think about. Well, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's kind of, you know, what I got to as I read through it again because on a second reread when you know who these people are, you can see what the writing is doing and, and you're able to pay attention and see the hints that are given, the clever little beats that are hidden throughout this that kind of nudge you in the direction of who these people are but not explicitly. And, and I appreciated it so much more because – the thing I want to say is I love the idea of this fake Kenzie TV show. I think it's a great idea. It's very Kenzie. It's very breakthrough to like to, to find the solution to this problem is we have to spy on these people, but we can't do it from a safe place. We have to do it in public. Okay. So how can we do it in the public? It's a great idea. I love the game that we're going to talk about in a bit here, that the game is a way of them kind of like seeing the layout of the situation and what's going on and how to track that. I, I, I love it, but I just wonder if there's anything really gained from it being a reveal in this method, you know, that that's, that's what I'm trying to process in my mind, because like the question I have at the end of the stuff is like, does it matter that it didn't work for me the first time I read it? Does it matter that I was confused the first time I read it? If on a second time I fell in love with it because like, like books are different from other forms of entertainment, right? They're not like a continuous, like you press play and then it goes. And if you want to stop it, like that's a big thing. Like it is not a big deal in a book to have to go back and reread a section. So like, does it matter that it didn't work on time? Number one, if it worked so well for me on time, number two, and that's what I'm kind of going back and forth. on. Yeah. Well, how much time do we have to talk about this? <laughs> Cause as much as you want. Well, cause like the way I, see like any time you you're like trying to do something in in writing and you're like and, and sometimes you're like yep i i know i know i know what i just wrote is going to work like like almost everyone who reads it is going to get what i was doing with that mm -hmm. and then there are times where you're like i don't know if this works and then there's probably something like a bell curve of like people who absolutely get what you were trying to do on the right side and people who don't even grasp that you were trying to do anything on the left side. <laughs> and then like in the middle, there's just like most people who um, kind of get it or get it partially. And um, maybe it's not a bell curve. Maybe it's some other shape. The point being that there's going to be some population of people who get it some, and some who don't. Yeah. Um, and and you as the like me personally, I'm not a very experienced writer, um, you know, certainly compared to Wildbo. So like my sense of when people are going to get what I wrote is not very attuned. Um, so like anytime you try to write something that's like tricky, right? Which I would call this tricky. Yeah. Um, you're going to, some people are going to get it immediately. Some people are going to literally not get it until they listen to the podcast about it later. Um, and that's fine because we're all, we all have our, our qualities. Yeah. Um, so 
so it's just it's I, 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 I'm not really answering your question. I'm, I'm like kind of <laughs> philosophizing about the idea that like I, I'm actually cool when when writers do things that um, don't work for people and maybe even don't work for me, because even if they don't work for me, maybe I can like come back to it later and be like, oh, I, I get it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's my my, you know, my thought process whenever I, I encounter something that doesn't work for me is to immediately kind of try to figure out why. And 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 part of that is acknowledging that I have my own pet peeves like everyone has and some things rub people the wrong way and other people are completely unbothered by it. So it's like it's trying to get down to this idea of, OK, what is it about this? It doesn't work for me. Why did this not work? Um, and does that say something more about me? Like I, I never go as like, Oh, this is bad writing. Like I would never say that. It's just the, the holding it as a reveal in my opinion, didn't I'm trying to think of a way to work this. It, 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 it didn't, the, the goal of it did not, um, get to where it, it, it enhanced the story for me. I guess yeah, that's what I'll yeah. say. It kind of seems like it just didn't work for you. And, yeah. And that's, yeah. I, yeah. But I do, I do think that, that, you know, one of the reasons was, so it's like, okay, this didn't work for me. So why was it done? And that's the question you want to ask yourself. And I do think I've, I've found a reason why it was, it was decided to go this route. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but, um, I guess that's all I want to say about that. Like, it's not, it's not that I didn't like, I, I like this chapter a lot. I, I like the writing. Um, it's just, this this one thing like and and I see I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I want to conclude on it because like I said on a second read through I love it like I, I thought it, I think it's so clever it's just on a first read through you miss all the cleverness sure yeah I, I mean I, I mean I think I've admitted before that I like sped through and didn't appreciate the entire Ward's arc of Worm which you know because like I wanted to know what happened with Taylor right like yeah strange things can interfere with your ability to, inter to, to appreciate something the first time through. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting, interesting thing to talk about. Um, especially here where I think it is intentionally confusing because on one level, like, I mean, so, so like, for example, meanwhile, you know, they're, they're watching the TV show and then on their laptop, they're simultaneously playing a freemium Farmville like game, that is keeping them updated on the relevant goings on. But like, what, what is it keeping them updated on exactly? Right? Like, is it the local area? Is it their territory? We're unclear on what it means exactly, but, right. but that's kind of okay because so is Victoria. Like she's your, your confusion is her confusion now. Right. Whereas before it, we, we were the ones confused about the cartoon. Now Victoria and us are, also confused about the video game right so so i think that works out um and and i would actually say like i, I like that device you know yeah. saying well the character doesn't get it either so she's not gonna be able to explain it to you it conveys this feeling that the kinsey stuff is is complicated and and baffling to use right and that's the thing i like about it i like that it's trickery but it's not cheating right because it's yeah. like it's not that victoria is just declining to think and have her mind's eye think about this stuff and 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 therefore holding it from us it's just that she doesn't understand it either and therefore she, she's not thinking about it and and I, I, that's that's not a cheat and i and, and i actually i i skipped this but 
but the, the text does this again earlier in the story, too, because when they're watching the TV show, they have a man come in and ask them what they're watching. And so they explain what the show is. And again, that's a way of giving us exposition about the details of the show they're watching without cheating and having it just be in Victoria's point of view while she's explaining what the show is while for some reason in her head, not saying what it really is. Like, you know, like if, if the, if the exposition of what they were watching was just done via narrative, then in my mind, I would be like, okay, so why isn't she filling us in on the rest of it? But because Wild Bill has a a guy come in and ask them, so that exposition is done through dialogue, then you're not cheating, right? Because, because they're just explaining it verbally to someone else. So yes, while this didn't work for me, it, it, it's not quite like as nails on a chalkboardy as some of the other items I've talked about where it just feels like a character. And I'm not even talking about the, in this book anymore, but just in, in writing sometimes where a right. character is just not thinking something they should be thinking because they're holding for a reveal. Um, that's not what happened here. Right. No. So, uh, so I want to give the, the credit where it's due. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, sorry to, to completely go off track again, but that's what's going on with the game, too. You're absolutely right that that it, it's not that our characters is just is just conveniently not narrating about something because we want to hold it. It's that she just doesn't get it. Yeah, right. And and I mean, you get it to, to the degree that you need to, which is like, OK, Kenzie's made a thing where people are keeping track of what's going on yeah. via a game. And and then this is all like explained sufficiently eventually right like yeah oh yeah 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 um so we're also given a description of this building that they're in which is like this great big public space it's called a dining hall social area library and market all in one and it's the lime center and it's basically the kind of place that gets built when uh, everybody is cold and hungry and terrified yeah, and I really love the writing here. This, there had been places where people could gather that had been crammed with those seeking human contact from dawn until well after dark. And there had been places where there just hadn't been anywhere to go and talk to other human beings that weren't neighbors. The book never outright says like, so they built this center because there weren't enough of these places last winter. It never has to like it doesn't have to say that sentence. It just it just paints a picture for you and then says now this place exists and it allows you to draw that conclusion yourself. It, it's communicated that through the writing. Um, and I, I really I really I really like this. And and this to me, when we're talking about the Lime Center as a place, this to me is why the trickery at the start of this, the, the chapter happened. Right. Because I think the book wants us to see the Lime Center as this really normal, mundane place, this place where people are just hanging out just because they want human contact, because they want to survive, they want to live and and I, and I think that the book wants us to see this place this way before the tone shifts and we see it as a place filled with people we can't trust, a place filled with people that are, are maybe spying on our characters, a place where um, anyone could be an enemy. It wants us to see this as a place separate from that before it shifts to that because it wants that shift to be more dramatic, to hit harder and to and to make you feel like our characters do like stranded and surrounded and 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 that's why I think it was done and and in that in that lens I completely understand it yeah I think that's that's a really interesting interpretation for why that happened you know while while you were talking I kind of was 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 realizing like um as you as you open up and you begin to realize the setting that this is occurring in it feels like downright um 
cozy. Like, like it's a big right. open space. So maybe cozy is a strange word to use, but it's like very comfortable and, and like you almost feel relaxed there. I kind of, I, I realize like, um, I think I'm importing some like connotations from like a big university student center because you could usually describe like a university student center as like a dining hall, social area, library, and market. Uh, Cause usually they have all those things yeah. in them. At I least mean, they did at our school. I mean, Matt and I both went to Texas A&M university and my mind's eye did, did, you know, fill out the Memorial student center as, yeah. as the look of this place. Um, that's, yeah. That's exactly what my brain did. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was going to. So, um, but then, as you say, it, it becomes a place of, of discomfort and, and fear, right? And, and that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a neat little trick there. Yeah. Right, right. And I think the, the guy who asked them what show they're watching, that guy we talked about before, let's call him a Exposition Joe. Um, I think he only serves to reinforce that idea, right? Because they're watching this TV show and they're having this casual conversation with some guy who, who based off of our, our n- ignorance to what they're actually watching, um, seems like they're just having a casual conversation. It's just normal people hanging out. It's, it's cozy. Like you said, there's it, we know it's warm in here. Um, we know that just people are relaxing, watching TV. They're having a casual social conversation with a guy just sitting nearby. And if you knew they were on a mission, if you knew from the jump that they were spying on people, then that interaction with that guy automatically becomes suspicious. And be- because we hold it, it's not suspicious at first because we hold it, it. It it comes off as genuine at first and only later in retrospect seems suspicious, which is, I think, exactly what this chapter wanted to do. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I don't think I noticed any of this when I was reading it, but this is this is very well, illuminating. That's, that's what happens when I, I, I don't like something is I have to dive into it to try to figure <laughs> out why. And I discover new things. Yeah. yeah, we should try not liking more things. I hate everything. <laughs> Um, so yeah, on, on the cartoon, they're watching, uh, Parker, uh, who is actually Colt, the girl who left her family, uh, back in hollow point in order to work for Nailbiter. Uh, Colt goes off on the villains, uh, yelling at everyone, including Love Lost, who just silently takes it. But ultimately Colt doesn't leave because he won't get to keep her earnings. Yeah, I, I really I really like this kind of saga of cult that we're seeing in the background of the story. Um, we had, you know, this moment where she has this big drawn out fight with her mom and joins these villains um, almost like to specifically piss her parents off. And now we see her a little further down the road and she's having the same kind of argument with her new authority person. Like it just it's like like we're seeing kind of a, a, a journey for this character. And I'm really interested in seeing where they go. Yeah, me too. And of course, uh, the other thing we have to talk about is is how this reflects on who Love Lost is and and, how, and where she is right now. I think we'll save that conversation for a little bit further down when when Rain starts talking about her. But um, this is this was illuminating in that front too for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh, we haven't really seen her like in a. I don't know if social context is the right word, but like not a fighting context, you right, know, right. Um, or not a context where it's rain, uh, watching her in the hell dimension dream world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. As you say, it's, it's, uh, it's good to get this lens on her. So Victoria's thoughts make us aware that love lost territories is like so busy that they couldn't park their van anywhere without getting hassled. So they've basically been forced into this solution where they're camping out 
uh, in the open using disguises and using obfuscation. Yeah, and and again, like none of my complaints with how any of this was handled was the this idea conceptually right i love the concept of it i love that that the team has kind of been forced outside of their comfort zone they're not like safe in their command center spying on people they're outside they're exposed um the risk level is up it's great and i think this is the moment after this reveals and we slowly start you know constructing that tension ramp that we're gonna you know continue throughout this this next chapter and a half yeah yeah um so I like this little bit of Rain. Um, you know, he he's he has this this thing, especially toward the beginning of this chapter, where he's discussing stuff about Love Lost to kind of give the um give the other teammates some color commentary on on what's going on based on his perspective. Mm-hmm. And and he says um basically the, the vicious anger is a running theme. Anger at the criminals, anger at her ex. She drank. She she seems to avoid it now, which I find a bit surprising. How was she with her child? Sveta asked. And then instead of like answering this question, Rain kind of like at first you think he maybe is going to ignore the question, but instead he throws up an image of love lost looming like like looming over Colt. Yeah. And Victoria and it's, he still doesn't say anything. And Victoria prompts him like, "Do you mean that she was angry with her kid?" And he says. Uh, no, she was like messy is the word mm-hmm. he chooses. But but then he adds, does it matter how she was with her kid? Because I think she loved her child with all her being. Doesn't that count for something? Um, and and then he kind of follows this up, admitting that he's struggling with being in this situation. Yeah, I I God, I love I love this so much. <laughs> there's yeah. there's a lot of really complex stuff going on here all at the same time. And and I, let's try to break it down. Um, so we have rain and love lost. We have these two people forever connected by this one traumatic moment that gave them their powers. But like we talked about with the the answer to the discussion question, that the tra- this trauma is is defined and lensed through their past, like. Love lost had a complicated relationship with her daughter. She she loved her um, and then lost her, and that has defined her lens on the trauma. Rain has his own, and 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 I think Rain is is right here. Like like she loved her child. That is very true. Like that is that is a fact. But she was also angry a lot. She was angry, and and the, her relationship with her kid was messy, and 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 we're seeing. I think. As Rain's showing with the, the the argument with Colt, we're seeing that continue here. That messy relationship with someone with someone that she isn't an authority figure over is continuing here. And I think, you know, that's love lost being kind of stuck, right? Like she's she's stuck where she is. She's perpetuating a cycle that she's she's been in before. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Rain, on the other hand. Rain has grown as a person. He's changed a little bit. He's he's trying hard to be better. And as part of that trying hard to be better, he's dealing with the guilt of what he did to this person. Everything that Love Lost is right now, Rain created it. And I know that's not entirely true to, to put the blame on all on him, but he he did it. Him, he, he puts the blame on himself. So we might as well in our discussions do it. Um, yeah. Like I love doesn't this count for something? Rain doesn't want to believe that love lost is just a terrible monster of a person because he wants to extend the charity and the forgiveness that he received to everyone around him, especially those he's wronged. That's kind of the rain that we've been seeing throughout the last two chapters is a person that doesn't want to conclude on a person. He doesn't want to say, no, this person's bad. 
she shouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt. Um, they're just evil or a monster or the devil or any of these things. He, he has been rejecting all those things. Yeah. He's, he's struggling both with, with his role in it and with the idea of, of redemption, right. Right, At the same time. And it's all kind of wound up for him. Like you can just see he's, there's a lot going on under the surface with him right now, you know, like he doesn't even have to say very much for you to understand like, like the, the tension um, that's happening inside him. Yeah. And, and, and we, he says a little bit later here that he's wrestling with the idea of removing himself from the situation like Ashley did. Like he said, he respects her, her ability to look at a situation, realize the situation was bad for her and disengage from it. But he's got another wrinkle on this whole thing too, is because he might want to remove himself from this bad situation, but he also feels responsible not only for what he did to Love Lost, but f- he feels responsible for what anything that Love Lost will do to someone else. So he's stuck in this place where I, I want to be apart from this. I want to be away from this. But if she hurts someone and I could have stopped her once again, that's all my fault. Yeah. And, and that's it's a it's a shitty place to be. And I yeah. understand I understand his struggle here. I really do. Like I feel like he he is he is being responsible in the sense that he's thinking about it in these terms, but yeah. also it's very different. Like it's not like he's afraid that he's going to snap and and like chain the doors of the of the Lime Center shut and set it on fire. No, he, like he's he's worried about how he's going to act because he's frightened and uncertain. But um, that doesn't mean that he thinks he's going to flip out, right? Like, yeah, it, he just knows it's a situation that that is um, what's the word unstable for him to be a part yeah, of. Right? I mean, like I think he says it himself. He knows that this is probably going to end in one of them dying. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he just know like that's the writing on the wall and he doesn't want to be a part of that. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to kill people. He doesn't want to do that. So he feels like he should remove himself from the situation because it's going to end in death. But. He can't because she might if she kills someone then that's on him too and that's like it's a it's a rock and a hard place situation and you really feel for the guy yeah right and like you have to imagine on some level in some corner of his mind there's like a temptation to to just like get it over with and kill her right but like all like everything about his growth and who he is as a person now is is saying like, no, that's not who I am and that's yeah. not who I want to be. Yeah. So, um, so just having that temptation there maybe is, is, is painful for him. I don't know. I'm projecting a bit there because I don't, we, we haven't really seen any indication that he like wants to take him out. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I'm sure it's there somewhere, you know, like I, I don't think it's, it's something he probably would not bring to the surface very often, but I'm sure yeah. it's in there somewhere. I mean, he basically killed Snag more or less. So, yeah. yeah. And he got more powerful. And that's, that's you know, yeah. tempting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I really love Sveta's comment in this whole thing because she says, I'm so tired of dealing with parents like Kay's, Vic's, and now this mess. And Rain immediately gets defensive, like, it, uh, in Love Lost's sake, which is uh-huh. hilarious to me. is like, don't you dare compare Love Lost to those. But, I mean, <laughs> but it is like... I, th- I think we're also seeing, you know, the old optimistic Sveta like taking a hit here, right? It's like, I'm so tired of dealing with these people. Like, and she's lumping, like, look, I don't think Victoria has great parents. 
I think lumping them in with these and with people Kinsey's is parents, probably yeah. probably over the line. But I mean, she's talking just like dealing with families, dealing with difficult, tough, awful family situations, and she, it's 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 showing the strain on her. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't know how much to read into this because, like, as you say, it, it sounds like um, there's a lot of anger, right, kind of bundled up in this idea of thinking of Victoria's parents like it shows you how much anger she has at um Carol and yeah due to the way she phrased it potentially also her dad um and it's like it suggests a lot of a lot of underlying anger um to to make a statement like that I would say yeah I think I think you're right I, and I think that's kind of a through point that we've seen for Sveta is there's there's a lot of anger bubbling under the surface and it's it's lashing out in different directions. And that's why yeah. every time Sveta does anything physical in any of these chapters, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lashing out with yeah. a thousand lashes. Yeah. So um, the team tunes back into eavesdropping on side piece in this joint, doing some very. Uh, hands-on research into parahuman sciences uh, and power synergies in particular. Um, yeah, <laughs> That's the most <laughs> political way of doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's, it's, and there, so, she, wants, she wants to play with his dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so am I, am I mis, am I misreading that uh, Kenzie was like sent away uh, as, as it was clear that they were talking about this? And And if so, is that kind of... Is that maybe maybe a little bit of tattletale rubbing off on the team? Um, that might be too generous. I mean, <laughs> I, I do think like like the 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 speech balloons are hilarious. Like Kenzie has no smile, eyes wide. Ashley's laughing, and Tristan's puking <laughs> from all the stuff, which is great. Um, I, I I mean, we don't really get to see like was it Ashley that said okay, no Kenzie, let's leave. Like Ashley seems to be enjoying herself, so I I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible that they like. Uh, like on a subconscious level that they're reacting to, you know, Tattletale's outspoken, like, um, you shouldn't be thinking of these things. Um, but I don't think they're like, I don't think anyone's like, Oh, maybe anyone's like thinking consciously in their mind. Maybe Tattletale was right about this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it seemed to like, if it's, if it's there, then it's a subconscious priming of like, pay more attention to what Kenzie is seeing and hearing. Right. Um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, Victoria signals Sprite and Shortcut are two favorite members of Advance Guard um, who head toward the Lime Center to kind of provide backup. Meanwhile, Love Lost's group gets in a truck with a tinker gun mounted on the back, and then they themselves start heading toward the Lime Center. Before the team moves forward, they send out a ping to the wardens, uh, which, if I'm interpreting this right, um, the actual request gets approved by Beaker by by Citrine rather yeah. than by rather than by the wardens, um, and Victoria is uh, uncomfortable with kind of how all this is working out. Yeah, yeah. Let's look. Let's look at it because I was a bit confused about it too. Because what it says is um, the loading symbol played over the final bar, which was simply labeled wardens. The option grayed out. A line struck through it. Then it shifted a crown icon. So so what they're doing in the scene is basically asking for permission, right? They send one out to the local legal group, I guess. And Natalie, who's back, responds and gives them permission. Then they send another to the wardens who who it seems either specifically don't approve like or are just circumvented by Beaker 
who just like says, eh, you don't need them. Yes, you've got it. Um, that seems to be what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like, like grayed out with the line struck through. It almost reads to me as like, this has been preempted by the crown icon, right, which right. means Citrine. Yeah. It's like, you don't need the warden's approval. You have our approval. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that yeah. was my read on it too. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, Victoria's probably right to not feel great about this. <laughs> I mean, like they don't have a lot of choice in the matter now, like Citrine and number man are in charge. That's just the way it is. But I do think it's a little ironic that the team was like so much against this idea of like a deal with the devil by making this deal with Tattletale last chapter. And you could argue that they've already kind of made a deal with this particular devil just in, in being sponsored by this, these guys. I, I, I don't, I, they don't have a lot of choice in it, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. Reminds me of our discussion question from a while back about Victoria's mantra and the, uh, you know, first look to, to look to the law. And, and, you know, a few people at the time mentioned like, hey, what happens when laws are unjust? What happens when the legal system is unjust? Right. And it's like, well, I mean, the law is cauldron now. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And 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 so we're seeing we're seeing that mantra be challenged. You're absolutely right that that they went to the law. They got approval. They got approval by Natalie, their local lawyer, and they got approval by the government. Citrine is the government yeah. and she has approved it. And she's like, OK, that's enough for her to move forward. And it's good to have that in her pocket. But seeing Victoria not feel great about that, I think, is seeing her push against that mantra a little bit. Yeah. And she doesn't follow the mantra, you know, deontologically, right? It's no. It's a guideline. And so yeah. now she, she can't rely on it, I think, is the point. Yeah. Or is, the, is, the, is where it falls down. Absolutely. Um, so they watch on the monitors as the tinker gun is aimed at Kenzie's camera, Kenzie's one remaining camera and best camera. Um, despite Sveta's attempt to warn the other team members by using a tendril to strike the ceiling, they fail to warn Lookout in time and the camera is destroyed. Yeah, and I think this is really when the the tone really starts to shift. Um, we had this, this, you know, we talked about the mundanity at the very beginning of the chapter. We had these funny uh, dick ripping off conversations between side piece and and disjoint but now all of this changes and suddenly we have people were still reacting to the sudden motion and the sound slowly they settled looking a little less at ease than before so suddenly everything's tense everyone's no longer comfortable they're, they're no longer surrounded by just a, a bunch of random people they're surrounded by people who could expose them could betray them they're surrounded by enemies yeah, I love the moment of her using the tendril because everyone in the place is now on edge. Like, is this place going to collapse on our heads? Right. What's going on? Um, it, like instantly changes the mood. And then that kind of just gets worse as the chapter goes on. Mm -hmm. Because Team Love Lost arrives at the center and makes their way through the open area. Love Lost uh, se seems to sense the presence of something amiss and she warns her subordinates to watch out. And the chapter reminds us that love lost has an emotion sensing power. Yeah. And that she is or was a police detective. So she's a yeah. emotion sensing already keen observational person. Um, and I love how, how hard the team's working to act casual. It's like, oh, I just got these snacks, just going to eat these snacks. Yep. And then you won't think anything's wrong. It's yep. like all of the writing throughout this part of the chapter is fantastic, Matt. Like it's, it's very much like, 
Wildbow messes with tension in the classic sense of it, right? Where he's just kind of twisting and turning and and like like we have moments where where Rain is like, why is this working? And like anything could happen at any moment. And, and Victoria is asking hypothetical questions like, does a detective's awareness of the environment and an emotion sensor's ability to let her pick us up from a crowd with any effectiveness? I'm betting on I'm hoping on no, but they don't know. And so you're just kind of you're just kind of waiting, you know? Yeah, right, right. And what's funny is I I was like Victoria had successfully kind of lulled me into a uh, false sense of security at a certain point where I'm like, no, nah, come on, Rain, relax. She's not on to you. <laughs> yeah. And then it like and then she super clearly is actually. Oh, yeah. Um, We're not there yet, though. So Love Lost is meeting with the anti-parahuman group. Uh, seems like they're not above hiring a violent villainess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost as if the uh, anti-parahuman bigots are just stupid hypocrites who are fine with people like this existing so long as they can control them. Yep. But what this further does is 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 ratchet up that tension. Um, suddenly, not only is Love Lost and her whole team here, but there's a team of anti-parahuman people in this place, this place where our parahuman friends are hanging out. Who knows how many of them are here? Who knows how many of them feel that way? And who knows how many of them would kill anyone on Breakthrough if they find out who they are, you know? So, like, it's yep. just like now we are truly, truly surrounded. And that's kind of where the next chapter picks up. Right. And and we have the other half of the team is is upstairs, which I don't think at the time I recognized that as like a problem but it becomes a problem pretty quick yeah so we roll right on into 10.8 victoria quickly realizing that uh, many of the people present seem to have become alert and focused now that love lost is here including the police officers she guesses that love lost may have all these people in her pocket including the cops uh, and also the the quote-unquote tent city thugs uh, and even just random young people milling around seem to be like spying for her yeah, and I think we were primed for this this moment from all the increased tension from the events of the last chapter. There's almost like a, a, a level of paranoia here. Like the, it's not completely unfounded, of course. They are truly like the, in order to spy on these people, in order to complete this mission, they had to put themselves in harm's way. They put themselves right in the middle of enemy territory. And now we have Victoria say here to herself, I was getting a sense of what that meant. Like they, they, they like now we fully are understanding what it means to truly be behind enemy lines. Yeah. And she's sort of underlining that for us. Right. Because right. we we were abstractly aware that she's behind enemy lines. But now it's like, oh, like like shit, you're behind enemy lines. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's going to have consequences. Well, and I, I think it's especially important because like, you know, these are they're powerful people. <laughs> they're like, yeah. they're, they're, and, and they're, they're so, it's so rare. We see, you know, this team in a place like where they're just like, like, like they have all this power, but it's no use to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and here they are again. And I, and I like, I like what you said about the teams being separated, which just feels like a smart plan when you're just spying. But now it's like, it's like you've, you've you're in a horror film and you've just <laughs> divided your your group up and that's like yeah, yeah it just complicates everything more yeah they can't back each other up as easily yeah, and so forth yeah. yeah um yeah so i love how much tension is injected into the beginning of this chapter um just from the fact that 
Rain has absolutely no chill and keeps saying things outright, <laughs> like with a very serious face, and then like shooting meaningful looks at Love Lost, who is not even seated that far away. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great because they're using they're trying to use like code names from the game, right? It's like, oh, so what do we do when the the monster looks directly at Love Lost comes yeah. out, and 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 it's great because like I think both Feta and Victoria are like trying to calm him down a little bit, but they can't do it in like really overt ways, so they're having to like be really subtle with it, like like almost forced jokiness, um, like. Sveta says like talking about the obnoxious number of points Kenzie's getting and says to elbow him for me and 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 so Victoria elbows rain and he looked at Sveta who was smiling a bit and forced to smile onto his own face the projected image translating it I love that little beat too like not only is this a forced smile that he's putting on his face but it's an artificial one in two ways because he's not really feeling the smile and also it's just a projected image that's smiling in his stead right so it's like two layers of fake smile here just to show like how tense rain is in this moment yeah that's interesting i like that um so i want to talk for um potentially a while about (laughs) this tiny tiny little moment where sveta picks up a chip breaks the chip accidentally and then Victoria eats the chip that she drops, but then Sveta makes her put another chip into Sveta's mouth. Yeah, so let's talk about it. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, so it is this little, little tiny moment, but I think it's really revealing. Um, I mean, we have Sveta is in a, a rough place right now already, right? And she's also someone who, while she does have control of her uh, body, she doesn't have perfect control over it. So she she squeezes too hard on that chip matt and it breaks and victoria mm-hmm. swoops in to help out and like to, to almost like remove the the problem like uh, it's broken nope i ate it what i thought was striking about it was like victoria eats it and then sveta's like she says hey and it's like sveta's not going to just allow the chip to not get eaten by her you know right like, it's her chip like yeah it's my chip God damn it. You know, like that, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know, like, like, again, I don't want to read. I use the phrase read too much into, but what I really mean is like project onto the character. But like, right. if you weren't, if you weren't sensitive about it, then you would just let it pass. Right. If you're sensitive about it, then you will, will be like, excuse me. That was my chip. Right. So she, she's not quite, she's not like calling out. Victoria for eating her chip, but but she makes sure that the chip situation is remedied. Um, yeah, I just thought that was I, I don't know. I, I, no, I think it's it was a great little little very short exchange. I think you're absolutely right, because it's something I mean, we built something that is so uh, like mundane as eating a chip, like pulling a chip out of a bag and putting it to your mouth is like one of the easiest things to do for a person that is not Sveta. And and so, yeah, she has problems with it. The chip breaks. She squeezed too hard. It breaks. And and yeah, Victoria, like I said, like swoops in to help out like 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 maybe she's not even thinking of it, but maybe it's just like, oh, Sveta just did something that I know is going to embarrass her. I'll try to get rid of the evidence as soon as possible. But yeah, Sveta is not going to not going to stand for that. She's going to she's going to get her chip. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sveta. Okay, well, let's hope Sveta getting her chip is not a bad thing later. Right. Let's let's hope that this all isn't some kind of horrible metaphor for something that happens yeah. at some point. Yeah. 
So the team starts to slowly make their way out, uh, observing Love Lost's negotiations uh, as the woman seems to remain calm and collected despite the evident frustration of the anti-parahuman negotiator. Yeah, what are we to make of that? This this kind of calm, cool, collected Love Lost who is kind of like a, a rage monster lady in other times. We've, we've only seen her in battle, right? And she's kind of been like furious and and aggressive and violent. And this is a she's chill here. Um, is this, is this just simply she has the upper hand and she knows it or is there something more going on here? Oh man, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a lot more going on, but, but we don't know even what direction that's going to go in. I mean, I have to kind of call ahead to the part at the end where she's like standing, staring at them. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, one kind of horrible interpretation is like, she kind of already knows she's got them perhaps in, in some way, like, you know. And and mm-hmm. so and so she's able to be calm about it, right? Yeah. I don't. I don't. That's just a guess, though. You know. Yeah. That, that, so. That's that's very possible. Um, I, I really like how Victoria continues to cycle through the different areas of the game as she's trying to plan their different areas of attack, right? Like she's she's like talking about you know we have words like station in clutches, house in clutches, business, and they're. Oh, that's also in in clutches too. I like I like that we're we're still using these code words. It. It makes it so um, we're, we're, we're re- like talking exposition, right? Like we're, we're just yeah. revealing like, okay, who, who is, who is with her? And, and we're talking and we're trying to process this stuff, but, but coloring it through the game makes it just slightly more interesting than just laying out the facts in your typical manner. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that. Um, and, and it just forces you to think a little bit about what exactly they mean, which is, which is fun. Yeah, but but never in a confusing way. Like I think yeah. at this point you understand enough when she's like business and then she starts looking, oh, there's a bookstore. Well, maybe those people are part of it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, seeing how Shirley Love Lost is in control of the area reminds Victoria of Brockton Bay as the villains gradually took over back back when she was active. And she tries to contextualize what Love Lost is doing in terms of like which undersider is this like? Um which as she kind of goes through uh, most of the undersiders, uh, it, it kind of requires a subtle recognition on her part that Tattletale actually kept her section of the city in good order. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is fascinating. She she cycles through those different undersiders. She talks about bitch, about region and about Tattletale, admitting that Tattletale made the city better. But I love what she says about that, right? She says it was technically not as bad as we once had, but worse in so many other ways because it represented giving up on better. Now, you could argue that this is Victoria just kind of like bending over backwards to explain away the slight compliment that she just gave Tattletail in her head. You can argue that. But I think this is pretty fundamentally Victoria as well, because I, I do think for all Victoria struggling with getting better personally, she is a person that believes Things can get better. People can get better. We can get to a better place. Um, I think it's paramount to everything she does. She's doing all this stuff because she wants the things to get better. Not just like survival is not enough for her like that, that like just just surviving. She wants things to get better. And I think it goes right back to that moment, you know, at the very beginning of the book where she flies into hollow point and sees that that message that this is the way things are now. And she says, fuck that. Like, you know, like giving up on it ever being good is not something she can do. And and so I love that this is this is reflective of of this, that central core Victoria trait. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's great that the story kind of has has anchored on that moment, uh, that defining character moment where she, that's really where she kind of made, you know, the big decision to move in the direction she did. Yeah. That fuck that moment. Yeah. 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 Interesting, though, as she cycles through the Undersiders, that she conveniently skips over um, a bug one. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one could argue that Victoria never really like directly dealt with Warlord Taylor, right? Um, so maybe, maybe she just didn't have enough of a grasp on what Taylor was doing in her part of the city to comment on that kind of leadership style, or or she she's making the assumption that Tattletale was like always the you know, the, the, the leader leader. Um, but this isn't also, this also is not the first time we've seen everyone kind of gloss over Taylor and gloss over, um, Taylor as warlord of, of part of the city. Um, it's almost as if people are like trying really hard not to think about her. Yeah. I I think there may be some of that. I, I think that's definitely one valid read. I, I wonder like, how much of this is all of the time in, in the asylum sitting there thinking Tattletale did this to me, right? Right. <laughs> um, or, or, or like, because she knows the role that Tattletale played in, in everything, basically. Right. Like Tattletale gave her sister the shove that kind of sent her in the bad direction during the bank heist. And then Tattletale basically kind of gave her to Amy, um, when you know, in order to be turned into the blob, so in that sense, Tattletale is a big part of the story, and I can imagine in her like retelling this to herself over and over, it becomes like Tattletale was in charge of all of it. Tattletale, like in her mind, Tattletale was the leader of the Undersiders, which she should sort of know is not true, unless unless that's just like the view that the heroes have. I, yeah. I don't know. It might it might be. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's um. It reminds me of the fact that she's had a lot of time to stew on the tattletale sure. question. Sure, and and I I don't think you're wrong. I just think it's it's interesting that like she looks at the different leadership styles of the undersiders as they overtook it, and and like I get why she brings tattletale into this, and I tattletale is the one she hates the most. I I totally get that, but she also brings Regent into this, and Regent is not a person she really dealt with, but he has a very unique way that he led the area. So does Rachel. So she brings Rachel into it. I think. Taylor had a pretty unique method of warlording over her area. Um, it is, it was not the same as Tattletales. It, she did not manage her part of the city like Tattletale did. So um, it's just interesting that that was left out. Um, yeah. We might be just overthinking it, but yeah. that's what we well, do. I, yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, Love Lost makes the breakthrough members. Uh, she, she, sorry, she makes the breakthrough members. <laughs> to use detective parlance, uh, she identifies who they probably are. Yeah. Um, just, just the ones watching from the second floor for now. And then she sticks her underlings on them without overtly letting them know that she's seen them because she's really good at her job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been reading detective stories all year. So like, I'm like just in my head, detectives are like these amazing gods that can just like notice (laughs) things and not give you any clue as to, what's going on um and if they've they noticed you so this that, that's it's wonderful that this is happening too like you can almost imagine her thought process as she totally clocks everything that's going on around her like i wonder how inconspicuous the teams are really being here like 
I, I, I right. don't think they're doing that good of a job, yeah. probably. As, as they stand at the railing and, and inconspicuously like over, stare down yeah. at her. Yeah. I also right. wonder, like, we're coloring, like, we're, we're, you know, hiding their faces, right? But, like, they're still, like... They've they're still like pretty distinct, right? Like if you see a little a little black girl with a, a a white woman and another guy, like I just don't I don't know how like people know who they are now. So like yeah, they're like on on a like if you if you don't really you know study them, you might not notice that oh there's these three people here and they match the rough height and build of um these people that are coming after us, you know. Um, Maybe yeah. I, I mean, know. I could buy. I, I could buy that. Like this interaction, um, they didn't necessarily like. Like no one necessarily knew that breakthrough could do this specific thing. Sure, of sure. Just appearing like other people, but now they certainly do. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Victoria is able to warn Tristan to retreat, and the two groups race to the exit, with breakthrough racing along the top floor and the villains following them on the ground floor. It's really like intense evac as our two teams have split up and are. Um, the, we, the villains are going after them, we think, but we don't know. And it's really tense, really tense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how that, how that goes. And then Victoria loses sight of them. We don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then Vicky leads her two teammates, uh, to search out the truck with the tinker gun on it and points the incoming advanced guard capes on side piece and disjoint, uh, including, um, background on the capabilities of the villains in her text. And of course she gets a reply, um, I got my reply from our reinforcements. AG colon. We know who they are and what they do. Or no, sorry, we know who they are, what they do. <laughs> that would be shortcut, presumably. This guy just continues to be a massive dickwad. <laughs> like, like it's just like one little small yeah. slight at the beginning of the book, yeah. and he just won't let it go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's just the the most petty dickish like text possible. Like you don't have to so unnecessary yeah and he does like it's yeah. there's not even any punctuation like it's just we know who they are what they do like it's like yeah. it's just like i don't even have time for you yeah. um when she's just trying to help out like come on come on right dick there is something that we glanced over a little bit that i wanted to circle back around to because it really got me thinking though there's a moment when victoria tells sveta earlier in the the previous chapter that she contacted advance guard and that sprite and shortcut are coming and sveta responds Ew, not my favorite person. And I think both uh, Victoria and me assumed she was talking about Shortcut because, well, because he sucks. He's a shitty person. (laughs) He's not good. But I was thinking about this and I I was remembering back when I think it was uh, back in arc four when they were doing when all the hollow point stuff was going around that that, that they both the two of them confronted Sprite. Um, as he was stealing information, this is when advanced guards showed up in hollow point where they shouldn't have. Um, and he asked to use her power and then mentioned how it was coded weird. Um, when he was like analyzing her power so, as they were exiting that situation, Sveta gave Victoria this look as they flew out behind him. And it, it was kind of like hinted to be this look of like, like this guy kind of thing. So yeah, I just think it's very interesting that like the two names are listed she says not my favorite person. She doesn't say not my favorite people. She says not my favorite person. And and we're kind of primed through Victoria's point of view to hate shortcut. But I, I kind of think she was talking about Sprite here. And I'm kind of thinking now I'm thinking like when the, the Victoria Sveta combo meets up with the Sprite 
shortcut combo, each of them is going to have a person that they're not too happy to be around. And and how that issue is going to play out in the future is going to be interesting to me, especially with Sveta in kind of a uh, anger that she's putting in in bad directions mode, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, shortcut uh, sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I think. I think this is yet another beat of Sveta is pretty pretty uh, angry under the surface. Yeah. So, so the trio uh, head outside and ambush the tinker who is sitting in the car when they find him using a combo attack of fission blades, tendril snatch, and aura discombobulation. Uh, don't forget a massive burn on his shitty costume. Ooh. Got him, Victoria. Boom. That's right. That's, that's the worst one. Yeah. Um, and... Just like I want to note the phrasing of this behind me, Sveta had dropped the human shape and wore a mask. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, of course, the human shape means she was holding up the tinker and just dropped him on the floor. Right. Um, but but the phrased that way is is really specific. And I'm glad you called it out. Yeah. So the tinker uh, then shocks Rain and tries to shock Sveta, but can't really because she's not quite made of the same kind of meat. And then he starts to go breaker limb by limb using his Tinker Tech apparel to turn himself into a living region of lightning. He goes for Victoria and touches the wretch, which is illuminated and revealed by the attack in its fullness. So, OK, we're not going to like dive into the, the beat by beat of this fight like we, we sometimes do. But I just want to say that I love this this fight. Um, it really got me like it really worked on me. They're so effective in taking this guy out at the start of it. Like they just do like a one, two, three punch and he's down that you kind of like write him off. And then there's so many beats about Victoria, like thinking back about the other group. They're separated. They don't know how the other group is that you kind of are primed to believe that, OK, they're going to handle their thing. But then there's going to be a problem with the other three that they didn't see coming. So you're kind of primed for that to happen. And so you think this threat, this conflict has been dealt with. And then suddenly the tinkers up again and suddenly he's turning into Electro and you're just like, oh, shit, game on. It's just it's wonderfully constructed and it it pays off wonderfully. And I just had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, because like, I don't know, by default, I think like, oh, yeah, a tinker that can make a big electricity gun and like an electricity rifle. He's probably pretty useless when you get him away from his guns. Yeah. But no, he's got like a whole nother track of, of being a fairly dangerous uh, tinker. I also think that either I'm like really bad at reading or, or Wildo <laughs> has like perfectly trained me to expect horrible things to happen all the time because when rain like collapses, I was like, Oh shit, rain's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. He wasn't though. No, I did but, not um, think that. Yeah. Well, I, I will I say that throughout this entire fight, anytime Sveta does anything, I'm, I'm gritting my teeth and I'm ready for something bad to happen. I'm ready yeah. for her to kill this guy or to, to she has, she has, you know, that line, that line that started the arc just keeps like uh -huh. it's in the back of my head every time I see Sveta to do anything. And I'm just like, oh, God, oh, God. Yep. So the team tries to uh, work to stop the Tinker from getting to the building, uh, first keeping him from using his rifle on them, then trying to hem him in with metal. Victoria doesn't want to destroy a lot of property in the fight, um, but she has an intuition of what might be able to stop him based on a conversation with Velocity and Shadowstalker. So, Matt, we have this thing in Worm called Taylor's Toolbox. 
mm-hmm. where Taylor had this kind of innate ability to survey a situation, identify the exact tool she needed to needed to overcome that challenge. And then she executed on that. Victoria doesn't have that same ability, but she does have something. And whereas Taylor's skill was mostly based on like this, like great observational ability, like she could observe and strategize on the fly and just use that toolbox. Victoria's is much more related to like extensive preparation. Like the, the different, like that's kind of, it's kind of like, the difference between a person who's like naturally gifted at something and a person who just like studies and, and practices really, really hard. And that's kind of the difference in, in how these two approach conflict, right? Like Taylor can spot a weakness just by like observing capes. Victoria can, can find her way to a capes weakness by being a giant cape nerd. She studied how capes work. She studied their, their weaknesses and, can like pull out the file in her mind. Whereas Taylor was just really good at like, just like seeing it in live action and, and, and observing and getting there. And I, I like, I like that difference because, you know, I think the end result the same is the same as that. These people are very effective in combat, um, but it's coming from different places. It, it's coming from places that reflect who they are as characters. And I just, that really jumped out of me here. Like, like her, her strategy for taking this person down was based off of research that she did before this fight even happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely accurate. Like, like Taylor was given her, you know, uh, honorary thinker rating because she seemed to be able to think her way out of any problem based on like her kind of her, her um, battlefield awareness and, and just kind of constantly knowing what everyone was doing and, and, and noticing the most minute details about what they were doing because she had bugs on them and so forth. Um, and, and often being able to sense things other people couldn't sense. Victoria doesn't have those advantages, but, um, her whole life has been capes. Right. And, and so she, she lives in this world. So even if she's not able to sense the same things that Taylor senses, um, she is able to infer a lot and guess a lot based on her background knowledge. All right. So um, there's a small side note here that I wanted to to uh, talk about before we move on, though, because there's a moment where like Sveta's fighting and Victoria just like screams her name. She just yells Sveta. <laughs> and it's just like Victoria c- code name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and in the past, we've pointed out something like this. And it's I think Wava was just like, nope, that was an accident. Um, <laughs> but there's a beat here that's almost seconds later of rain shouting tress out right so yeah. i think it's one of those things that like it feels intentional it feels like victoria's just bad at code names <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i mean again i feel i feel like i'm repeating myself actually but like with sveta specifically victoria is kind of you you, you could accuse her of just like not thinking that sveta's code name is important because, like, everybody knows who Sveta is. Right, right. Like, Sveta doesn't really have a secret identity. Everybody knows it's Garat, Sveta, K63, killed a sure. huge number of people, you know? So. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it's, it's, which is, which is, which is insensitive in, in a way, right? Because it's like, it's like saying to Sveta, like, yeah, you're trying to, um, re re make yourself relabel yourself uh, new identity your your trust now and and Victoria is not giving her that not putting in the effort right. you know well and it 
it sent me down kind of a rabbit hole of is she too close to Sveta, right? Like, is she is there is there friendship and and they're leaning on each other at a point where they're so close to each other that she maybe won't be able to see just how bad Sveta is. And I don't know the answer to that yet, because so far she's been able to detect rather well when Sveta was in a bad place. Like we saw that at the end of the last week's reading that, that she noticed that something was going on with Sveta. And so she took her to the side and talked to her and that's great. Um, but I wonder if like, she's so close to her that, that she, while she recognizes something wrong, she might not recognize how bad it is until it's too late. Um, yeah. I'm just I'm just really afraid for Sveta right now. And I think I'm just like seeing that fear reflected in every little thing that happens. I mean, as so am I like that's exactly what's happening. I, I know that um, there's going to be more before we're done, actually, more yeah. moments of me being like, oh, my God, I was so worried about this. And it was nothing. <laughs> um, so next thing that happens, Victoria uses the wretch while spinning and kind of digging into the ground such yeah. that she digs a trench through the ground um, and pulls up a piece of buried pipe, which acts as kind of a tripwire for the, for the breaker tinker they're fighting. Yeah. And I like Victoria's like mind process around the, the wretch in this moment. It's very, it's much less a cooperate with me, do what I say type of thing. And much more of a, I know what you want. I'm just going to direct that want in a direction that I want it to be in. And it works. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't control you, but I'm going to use you in the way that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So she manages to, stop the tinker but also temporarily kills the power to the lime center uh good move i'm sure massive power surges don't count as property damage i'm <laughs> sure no one was using any computers in there they have search predictors it's fine yeah right uh then she smashes his gear so he can't go breaker anymore yeah and what this also does is alert everyone inside the lime center that there's like a, a cape fight going on outside <laughs> yeah because power suddenly goes away um including all the bad guys um, it, it does seem that the power loss is only temporary. The power comes back on and that there's no lasting effect to the Lime Center, a place that's like literally saving lives just by existing. So that's good. It's good that she didn't completely destroy the power to this place. Um, yeah, that would have gone over well with those anti-parahuman activists. Well, and, and here's here's the thing with that, though. I still think it's going to go bad with them. Yeah, because like I, how much effort would it take to turn this into a these damn capes are fucking up everything again. Narrative like uh, we're just people are just hiding out in the the social center built because people need connection. And then suddenly the capes are fighting out front again and they almost took the power away. Like it's 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 so easy to construct a narrative around that if you want to. And I just feel like they're gonna. Yeah, right. Like it almost makes you think that it's like calculated that you would have the the meeting at the at the civic center such that if the if the heroes act against you then it makes hero it makes them look bad right yeah yeah um yeah so the team meets back up at the truck with the big gun uh you know the rest of breakthrough um and they look uh through kind of the details of how the tinker stuff works so that lookout can mess up the weapon the big the big cannon uh then they all head to the spot where the anti-parahuman group had brought their cars and and then we learn what the deal between these anti-parahuman guys and Love Lost was. They're selling weapons to Love Lost's group. Um, presumably, like, 
does she have like some mercenaries working for some unpowered mercenaries working for her? I guess that she would equip the weapons with. We don't know. Um, but it's I, I think this is actually kind of brilliant on their part because like you sell weapons to parahumans and then you blame parahumans for violence, especially violence with guns, which is already like a thing when parahumans are committing violence and using guns, like it's already like a line that's been crossed. It's just like, it's just, it's just a, a wonderful construction. It is so anti parahuman sentiment. And there's probably something deeper going on there too. Victoria hints that she thinks there's something more complicated happening here. She's probably right. But I think like just on the surface level, like, yeah, take these guns and then, um, you know, go kill people. And that helps us no matter what. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me that, you know, the hollow point, uh, villains had these like mysterious shipments of guns. And I don't remember that we ever, um, learned where the shipments of guns came from. Like, no, I don't we, think we did. They, they had guns. They attacked with the guns. That was a big deal back then. And now love lost is getting guns again. So yeah, very, um, I, th- I, th- I feel like that's tying into this bigger mystery of where are these guns coming from? Is it is it just you know the the earth uh, earth sea uh, folks trying to um, undermine um, Earth Gimmel, or is it is it something? Is that a red herring? You know? Yeah, yeah. So Love Lost, while they're doing all this stuff, comes outside and just kind of creepily watches them from a distance. <laughs> cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's very right. unsettling. Yep. Uh, then Ashley coaches Sveta through picking the locks on the vehicle trunks. Um, so speaking of like utter paranoia, <laughs> I was like so sure that the trucks were going to like blow up as a result of Sveta interfering with them. And then we would have a Sveta out of her shell right next to Ashley. Um, but no, Sveta is just able to easily pick the lock, uh, which pleases her. And, uh, I don't know, maybe Ashley earned some points with her. Yeah, that's, uh, let's talk about the scene for a little bit because I think it's it's really fascinating. You have Ashley like gruffly in a very Ashley way, tell Sveta to do something and then be like, you don't know how to do this. And Sveta gives this moment where she frowns and like you see the entire conversation with Victoria about how frustrated she is with Ashley, like flash through your mind again. And you're like, oh, no, like this is only getting worse. Yeah. But then but then she does genuinely teach her something new and and, and like. The, the text kind of goes out of its way to show us that like the, at least Victoria thinks that Sveta's gratitude is genuine here. Like she appreciates her teaching her this new thing. And I wonder like the most charitable read on this is Ashley noticed uh, Sveta was being cold to her that she was being a little more standoffish and like, extended a hand to her to make her feel more involved to get her into things. Um, or if she just like, we need you to do this thing, do this thing. And then it just so happened to, to land in a way that made Sveta a little happier. Yeah. I like that. This question is not answered. Like, like it could very well be, um, Ashley, like being really thoughtful and, and being like, how can I repair my relationship with Sveta? And it could literally just be her being like, you have a you have a weird power that makes you able to do this. So I'm going to use you like a tool. Yep. And yeah. We don't yeah. we don't know which one it is. Um. Yeah. So inside the cars, turns out, are weapons that Victoria doesn't quite recognize. Uh, with blocky letters. Um, and the chapter 
kind of um or the, rather the the interaction with with uh with uh swan song and um tress kind of wraps up with victoria thinking the enmity the frustration it didn't seem as bad now it helped to have other focuses three nondescript cars with trunks packed with munitions instead of jealous relationships which is i mean that's great <laughs> you know it's like oh good our relationships are better i mean there's like a bunch of guns and stuff and we don't know where they're coming from and there's all kinds of problems but hey your relationship is doing better yeah classic parahuman psychology oh good something to punch yeah um it it, it, it makes you wonder like how repaired the relationship actually is though right like at least from sveta's side it, it might have been this momentary moment of like oh good like gratitude but I don't think Sveta is just going to magically no longer be angry or frustrated or jealous of Ashley. Right. Like that's not going to go away just because Ashley taught her this new th- cool thing she could do with her tentacles. I, I, j- I think it, it's the whole thing's so much more complicated than that. And it's it's not like we're not just done with this. It's not like this is the the the, the OK, that conflict is wrapped up trigger, you know. Oh, absolutely. No, the, if if anything, it's. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to be uh, cynical and say that it's just setting us up for a letdown. But um, yeah, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's. Uh, nothing is over. <laughs> Put it that way. Well, yeah, and I, I think I think it could be a, a really great example of um, in the moment I was uh, gracious and thankful that you taught me how to do this thing, but then in the future you do this other thing that pisses me off or makes me feel. Um, or, or reignites my jealousy and then my brain turns the moment where you actually did something nice for me into a moment where actually no this was just you disrespecting me um i could see i could see that line of thinking happen on Sveta yes. too so that's that's beautifully cynical i love that <laughs> i don't want to be beautifully cynical <laughs> um well this is this is the world we're in scott that's true uh so I love Vicky and Ashley's working relationship where uh, it says, I met Swansong's eyes. I jerked my head hair toward the trunk and then Swansong annihilates it. Who needs words, man? You just know. Yep. Vicky points something with her head. Blow it up, Ashley. Yep. So she destroys the guns and Love Lost retreats ominously. Very ominously. Like, like she thinks she's already won. Ergo, why bother fighting us ominously? Yeah. It's a great end to that chapter. Sure is. Um, All right. So um, discussion question for this week. The anti-parahuman sentiment has grown ominously in the background of this story. Highlight another instance of Wildo letting a story element grow quietly in the background before eventually bursting into the narrative foreground. But what if the anti-parahuman sentiment never bursts into the narrative foreground? Then won't I feel silly? But that's not going to happen. You sk- you skipped the blood atoll thing. Uh, so I didn't know what to say about it. That the, I was going to do name game for blood atoll, but I didn't really like the the. It specifies that like the way the dirt has been cleared away is kind of mapped onto like island and and water and and just, like that's how the program has chosen to do the mapping. Um, but I didn't know what else to say about blood atoll. I mean, isn't an atoll just like a ring of islands, right? Yeah. So, like, you could say that they're surrounded by blood. Okay. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. It's great. Good job. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, so end. that's all we got for you this week.
on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at mordenamail. No jokes this week. Just follow him because he's kind of funny. Your Thank tweets you. are funny, Matt. Thank you. You're a good you. tweeter. I appreciate that more than you can possibly know. <laughs> uh, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms uh, and pretty much anywhere in the multiverse. <laughs> and as always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at doofmedia.com. We are taking this week off. So we're not doing any other shows besides this one because it's Thanksgiving in America and we're going to be celebrating that. But uh, we'll be back with all of our shows, including this one next week. Yeah. Uh, and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contest, uh, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoof's Bar Lavento and Javier at the $1 level. We appreciate that. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Furious George, who says an essential companion to reading Ward adds depth and insight to the reading experience. Can't wait to reread Worm and listen along to those episodes as well. Five stars. Thanks so much, Furious George. That's a great name. Sure is. No, no, I'm curious. Curious. <laughs> Um, all right, that's all for this week. Next week, two more chapters, more Sveta-related anxiety, and probably some fighting. You know, Ward. Yay! <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, America. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.